Some companies still know how business casual is done. It's strictly business. Yes, welcome to another episode of Business Casual. Yo. Tyler Kern here, Daniel Litwin. I'm here. The table. I am across the table. Got a big, big show lined up today, Daniel. Yes, we do. It's a, it's a big show. It's a fun show. We have a wonderful interview coming up with our very own Jerry Mecca. Jerry Mecca is the host of Market Scales, The Mecca Minute. So we're going to be unpacking the future and the past of the internet, which is kind of a big topic. Uh, we definitely don't have enough time to get into every single specific, but we want to talk big picture, the internet, and we'll explain why a little later. Exactly. Uh, we're going to be talking about Boeing, we're going to be talking about NCAA, mm. Mm, have to, and we're going to be briefly chatting about Salesforce. There's a lot happening in the world of business, Tyler. Um... Where would you like to start today, Daniel? You know, it's kind of tough to say. Uh, is there anything going on in the, I don't know, simple pop culture world that we can lead into? <laughs> you know, I, I actually, I have something. Okay. Um, so I, uh, I just want to shout out positive and well-done storytelling when I can. Um, decided to give a new show... Uh, a try last yeah. night. Okay. It's called Undone. It's an Amazon Prime original. It's by the team that put together BoJack Horseman. I don't know if you've seen that show. It's an animated show on Netflix. I have not. Really, really good. Really smart. Really okay. well put together. Okay. And Undone is, uh, it's basically a live action show that has either through 3D rendering and technology or through hand-drawn tracing. Mm-hmm. Each kind of frame by frame is 12 frames per second redrawn. So characters are acting and there are literal um, actors that act the scenes out. Sure. But they are then retraced and drawn. And so it all looks very like a like that Van Gogh movie. Okay. Where it's like frame by frame, everything is a painting, right? That's, That's pretty That's kind sweet. of the, the visual look of it. Right. But I really want to shout it out for the incredible storytelling and the nuance, um, mostly because... It really explores human themes and explores interpersonal stories right. in a fantastical way. And that's just something that I want to push everyone to consider as they create content in their space. It may seem weird to look to uh, you know, sci-fi fantasy or look to um, I don't know, look to like crazy interpersonal dramas right. to guide your B2B content or marketing. Um, but my perspective is that when you approach content from a human perspective, it doesn't really matter what the story is, mm -hmm. as long as the characters or the reasoning for that story existing is clear, uh, that is when what you're trying to sell, whether it's an emotion or a literal product or something in between, is most effective, is when the storytelling feels authentic. And I, I really felt that when I was watching the show. I was hooked immediately after episode one couldn't stop. I like plowed through four episodes That's last night. Awesome. Yeah, it was great. And so this is just something that I feel uh, like we try to embrace here at Market Scale when we do our big videos or podcasts or interviews. Definitely. We really try to get to the meat of the story. Um, and it's definitely benefited us. And it's been more fun to work on stories that way. Uh, so I just want to get that on everyone's B2B mind as you're approaching content. 
approach it from an authentic human storytelling perspective because that's when it resonates the most and that's when you hook people i dig that i dig that and good that's, work <laughs> that's my uh my take for today <laughs> we got to come up with names for these now i don't know daniel's hot take the lit take the oh a lit take a lit a take. lit take well Daniel, let's move over to Boeing Yeah. because their CEO, Dennis Muhlenberg, testified before the Senate yesterday in what ended up being a fairly kind of, uh, I suppose, emotional hearing of sorts, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, this is how it started out, and this kind of set the tone, I suppose, uh, for the rest of the testimony. Uh, before we uh, start today, I'd like to speak directly to the families of the victims who are here with us. On behalf of myself, and the Boeing Company, we are sorry, deeply and truly sorry. So he's obviously referencing here the uh, the two crashes, uh, airline crashes that that took place as a result of Boeing's kind of uh, failed testing and that sort of thing. But as part of the testimony yesterday, he disclosed that he was notified before the second crash of a test pilot's signal of egregious problems with the Max's flight control system, and right. it's now believed to be the cause of those two plane crashes. Um, and so all of this kind of came out during the Senate's testimony yesterday. And we talked last week on Friday that Southwest Airlines had a choice in front of them because they're a Boeing exclusive airline, right? Mm -hmm. And part of the great efficiency of what Southwest is able to achieve is that there's this uniformity across all of their operations because they only use this one particular uh, type of airplane. And we asked the question, if you were Boeing's CEO and if you were a decision maker within, excuse me, if you were a decision maker within Southwest Airlines, mm. would you switch away from Boeing? Right. And now looking at yesterday's testimony, I wonder, does that change anything for you? The idea that they knew that there was a, a pilot that kind of signaled, hey, there's something wrong with your flight tracking. And, and he called it an egregious problem. Yeah. That's not a light word. In no, my that's opinion. a big word. Egregious right? is a, big. That's a that's a that's an SAT word that he's using there to <laughs> yes, say general hey, egregious. There is a big problem here, and if you are now one of the companies that has done business with Boeing, do you now look at that testimony and say, okay, they knew a little bit more than maybe we thought they did, and this causes me to reconsider doing business with them in the future? I mean, I, I think it at least points to. Uh, too much trust in their own safety inspections and in their own product. Right. Because the fact that the CEO was alerted mm -hmm. that a pilot said, yo, there are, there well, are issues egregious yeah. problems with the Max's flight control system, which now is being said after the testimony, we learned a little more that this was probably at fault uh, or this was a, a core contributor to why the planes crashed. Mm -hmm. The fact that this was brought to the top leadership's attention and it was like eh we're Boeing it's fine you know yeah. what I mean like come yeah. on like they, nothing's wrong with our planes we're fine obviously not fine so I think it I think it just proves that nothing is too big to fail in mm -hmm. any sense of the word right. right no matter how large your company is how rigorous your testing and your track record for success and uh, perfection in the public eye or literally that your business uh, you know, doesn't have a lot of controversy, that doesn't mean that you can lax up on problems that arise and that sure. you should just trust that nah, pilots got it wrong. I mean, because that's basically the only interpretation you can walk away from this with is mm -hmm. that they got this information and they decided, nah, the pilot doesn't really know what they're talking about or the pilot is reading too far into 
you know, something that I, it's not really a big deal. There became and this people com- died. Yeah, there became this comfy, cozy kind of uh, relationship between Boeing and regulations and that sort of thing. And when people's lives are at stake, that just really can't happen. Yes. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, you look to Tesla cars also just like mm-hmm. exploding and catching on fire. Like people aren't necessarily dying from driving Tesla cars, but... Well, some some are, but some that's, <laughs> that's because they decided to watch Harry Potter right. while they're behind the wheel. So. Right. But, but the Tesla vehicle itself... Or, you know, just, uh, I don't know, I feel like a lot of these kind of venture capitalist endeavors get the funding and go to market even when they're not 100% ready. Mm -hmm. Now, Boeing is clearly an established company built into not only our private but our public sector in the United States. Uh, And the fact that they had such a brutal failure here, I think just goes to show that even the companies that we place the most trust in, as a as a society or something don't always act the right way and sure. i don't know if this is now a conversation to encourage we need more regulation or encourage uh you know more inspections or you know we need to it, specifically for this industry have more third parties coming in to mm-hmm. analyze certain aspects of planes before they ever hit the market right. i'm not sure what the final solution is here but if anything, if I was Southwest, I would definitely, after this testimony, more deeply consider moving away from Boeing as my only provider. Because this just is not a vote of confidence. No. And I'm sure those families aren't super thrilled with that sorry either. I mean, what can you say also at that point? Like, it's it's tough. At a certain point, all <laughs> the families that were present held up pictures of their loved ones that they lost on yeah. these flights. Talk about a powerful... Yeah image and moment there in that testimony. Um, It's just not a good look overall. Yeah, and one of the things that that stands out to me and that's interesting is it feels like more and more CEOs and business leaders are being uh, called into question over decisions that they make with their business, and and if it feels that way, it's actually true, uh, because there's a a stat that's out there that says uh, 1,160 U.S. corporations announced that their respective CEOs were leaving, setting an all-time record according to an executive coaching firm, Challenger, Gray, and Christmas. And so hmm. just an interesting year for executives in general. But I mean, you see this at uh, what WeWork. You see it at just in different places. CEOs more and more often are being held accountable for the uh, the activity and the decisions made by their companies. So. Right. And to a degree, I think it is also easy to blame the CEO. To scapegoat the CEO sure. out of there for every problem that occurs uh, within the company. Uh, But maybe it is also kind of a culture shift. You would hope it has a resounding effect that if these CEOs are being ousted or resigning because of actual serious issues that a company, uh, you know, acted under their leadership. Right. um, You know, it might hopefully encourage that the next CEO has a little more oversight or that there's more oversight over that CEO, Mm -hmm. right, over the hiring decisions, over, um, you know, the kind of decisions that they make once at the company, and um, I don't know. I, I just think the social conversation around corporate leadership is changing a little bit. It's a little more like hmm, skeptical. Like, who's yeah. really leading our companies, and who is making these decisions that impact our day to day? Everything from the planes we fly to the tools we use at work. Um, right. Right. And I think having some responsible people in those positions of leadership is obviously wanted. And it seems like people are being uh, scapegoated. <laughs> for better or for worse, out of those positions to hopefully encourage a new generation of, I don't know, CEOs. 
maybe that's thinking a little too big. Well, speaking of uh, strange leadership and culture changes, uh, let's talk about the NCAA. And Jerry uh, Mecca is here in the studio with us, and he, he's going to join us for a conversation about the internet here in a second. But I want him to weigh in on this as well as, oh, okay. as an athlete and as a guy that uh, knows and cares a lot about sports. This is interesting. The NCAA's Board of Governors voted yesterday to allow college athletes to receive compensation for their names, images, and likenesses. Now, this is interesting because not too long ago, the NCAA was lobbying heavily against this uh, being passed, basically, in the state of California. And so this is a radical kind of change of course, I suppose. Jerry, just initially, are you in favor of this, the idea that college players can receive compensation for their likeness and image and that sort of thing? You know, simply because it's hard at at that, you know, age to earn anything. Sure. And many kids who have depended on their entire education are coming from places where they can't really afford to get an education. Right. And thank goodness for their their scholarship. It seems that there is fairness mm-hmm. at the minimum in letting them have some sort of income from the name they've made for themselves. So yeah, I'm I'm in support of it. I think it's a good idea. I kind of think so, too. Daniel, I I wonder kind of what you think about this and maybe why the change of course from the NCAA to all of a sudden, after fighting this in one state, now seemingly allowing it in all of them. Well, my mind goes to where the national conversation on education is today, Mm -hmm. where we're seeing a lot of people call for everything from canceling all student debt to making public colleges and universities and HBCUs in the United States uh, tuition free. Right. So often the argument that gets used for college athletes is, okay, we're not paying you, but you're getting a free education. So, you know, don't, you know, don't complain. It's not a problem. You are getting free education, but you're also getting to play for such a big team. So just take the, you know, take the name recognition and take the free education because that balances out. Right. But now I think, if anything, this is probably a great proactive move by the NCAA because I do really believe that our uh, collegiate institutions are going to feel a culture shift very soon, even if it's not 100%, um, you know, okay, you're going to get a free education right. across the board. Even if we don't get to that point in the next four, eight years, I still think based on how we're seeing, you know, scandals with Betsy DeVos right now in um, the uh, Federal Department of Education, all the way to how people talk about tuition for colleges, now the NCAA is actually, I think, helping themselves out in the future because Mm -hmm. students now who want to go to these schools are going to be able to cash in, literally, (laughs) and the benefit of, oh, you're going to get a free education if you come here. It's not really like the the bargaining chip anymore. Right. They're kind of, I think, reading the field and understanding, hey, maybe sometime soon college is going to be considerably more affordable. You know, maybe it's going to be better funded so the payment structure isn't on the backs of the students and the parents of the students it's instead back on the governments and the state governments and i think that would probably create less leverage for like oh you're going to get a free education if you come here and play sports for us so um so i i do think you're there's a whole business around sports agencies and the legal implications and also what the schools themselves get to make i mean Look at Alabama. I bet a few kids go to their school because of the great football team. For sure. But none of them play football. It's because they've created a brand. Right. And, and and in many respects, 
going to a school and and they should have their coffers full in it and be able to afford paying for whoever's education that goes there. Mm-hmm. The concern I have, of course, is the corruption that goes with. I mean, heck, we had enough of it when there wasn't pay for play mm-hmm. uh, where people, parents, you name it, vehicles were taken, things promoting whatever. Uh, that'll allow, allow now be allowed, if you will. Uh, but I do think you've got you've got some change that's happening that that the NCAA needs to get around and understand and and make sure that the agencies don't just start pounding on all these kids and get them to sign agreements that are contradictory or really don't allow the school to take advantage of, which I think is back to your earlier point. School is expensive. And a lot of people can't afford it, and people mm-hmm. have huge debts because of it. And if if this sport, which we all love and continue to dump money into in the professional ranks and, heck, gambling, you name it, sure. that, that, that people will be able to get an education essentially for free, regardless of whether they're a good musician or mm-hmm. – and I'm, that's close to home for me. Uh, I happen to like sports and – my son's going to be a good ball player, but my daughter's a great musician. And right. what about them? <laughs> When's that going to happen? And it's a good point. Yeah. And I I don't know, Tyler, if there's any information here on will uh, college athletes still get some kind of full ride to attend these universities? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that that I think is good because if they had kind of balanced it out by saying, okay, you can now be paid for your likeness and image, but we're now no longer going to pay for you full ride for you to come. That kind of, I think, de-incentivizes, I don't know, the culture of what a lot of sport is in our, I don't know, our society. Like the idea that anyone can break out into the sporting world regardless of of race, regardless of um, income, regardless sure. of status. You know, if you are talented and you have uh, determination and dedication – you know, the schools will recognize that and you'll right. be able to come play for free, right? And well, and, and yeah. so I'm glad that that is not being removed no, from the no, equation. That, that, what, that, that can't be. What right. this basically says is now college athletes can just be treated as normal people. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> because what? think about it, right? But, but think about it. What other industry is there where they tell you if you are the best at this particular industry and you are 18 years old and you are in the top 0.001% of what you do – you are not allowed, you are not physically allowed to actually go make money off of that thing that you do. You have to go and play in college first, right. and you can't negotiate a higher salary, or you can't, you can't negotiate making more money while you do that, because we've set the ceiling at tuition. And while, sure, tuition, you know, free college is an amazing thing, it's wonderful, They're, they should definitely be appreciative of that, they can't... What other industry is there in the United States that says that's okay? Yeah, and, it's and, just not – first of all, it's not capitalism. It's really kind no. of a funny thing. The people that are arguing in favor of making sure college students can't get paid right. often are the, the people that uh, are very, very outspoken about being free market <laughs> yeah, capitalists. Yeah, no, right. But no. these kids can't actually get paid what they're worth. Physical yeah. talents are also limited because as much as we all think – you know, our brains, as long as we have our – Cat faculties will last forever. Maybe our music, musical or talking talent, but the reality is, is an athlete probably won't. They have a shelf life. Oh yeah, there's a and finite. It, the sooner you start making something yeah. for that, the better off. And and uh, yeah, I think we're in yeah. violent agreement. <laughs> yeah. Quick, quick, quick final note to play devil's advocate. Sure. What could this uh, potentially uh, create on the issue side of things? Problems. Yeah. Um, I think 
when you have players now being able to sign separate agreements or sponsorships with companies, mm-hmm. there is now a new level of liability either between like what the player does and how they represent those companies, but also the flip side, if a player associated with a school takes a sponsorship from a company and then that company gets embroiled in something awful, how might that reflect on the player? How might that reflect on the school? How sure. might that reflect on the the PR nightmare that the school then has to go through to you know calm concerns and then flip to the next recruiting season as they try to bring people back in? So there's a new layer of accountability that's sure. going to come about here, and I'm interested to see how the NCAA handles it. It's going to be a fascinating look and uh, one that we're going to have to keep an eye on moving forward for sure. Hundo percent. One hundo percent. But right now we need to step aside, take a quick break. When we get back, we're talking 50 years of the internet with Jerry Mecca and where it's going in the future, so don't go anywhere. That is coming up right here after the break. Have you ever thought to yourself, podcasts are pretty cool. I should use one to market my company. Good news. You're not alone. But where do you start? MarketSkills Thought Leadership Club makes it easy to dive into the world of B2B podcasting. With in-house podcast production, audio hosting, and more, MarketSkill can be your podcast partner that sets you up as a thought leader in your industry, creating the content that powers B2B. For more information, head to marketscale.com and find out what thousands of companies already know to be true, that podcasting is the future of thought leadership in B2B marketing. Daniel, did you wish happy birthday yesterday? Happy birthday to you, internet. <laughs> yesterday was the 50th <laughs> birthday of the internet. Yeah. So it's now, it's now 50 years and a day old. So Yeah. We missed it by a day. but <laughs> missed it by a day. 50 years ago yesterday, there was a log from UCLA's archives, and the data entry... Uh, the, the entry date was October 29th, and it makes note of the first host-to-host connection between UCLA and SRI. So, yeah. Happy it, birthday, Internet. Happy birthday, Internet. So what's really interesting about this little log is that it's really not fancy. It's not certified. It's not, like, you know, stamped and approved and put in a glass case. It's literally like a a, a blue, blue line sheet of paper, sure, you know, that sure. just has some log entries on it. Good on whoever actually saved that. Oh, I know, right? I would yeah, throw that sure. stuff away. Oh, yeah, yes. that would have been trashed. <laughs> right? I mean, my notes get trashed, like, every six months. So let's just hope I don't come up with something yeah, incredible. Exactly. <laughs> All your amazing innovations. Yeah, right. No. I just need to sign everything before I throw <laughs> it away. But the, the use of packet switching as a technology to enable remote access for any reason was what was really paramount in this log entry. Uh, And it really set the infrastructure of the internet that we don't see much as end users, but that really defines exactly the kinds of limitations that we have when we're on the internet and how we use the internet. So everything from how the internet uses names, to addresses, to applications, to the institutional details of the internet, were all defined by this very small and simple step uh, connecting host to host between UCLA and SRI in 1969. Mm-hmm. So we never really could have foreseen where the internet took us. Now we're going to try to look back and look ahead at the same time. So once again, I'd like to introduce Jerry Mecca. He's the principal at the EKG Group and former VP of IT at Keurig, Dr. Pepper. He's also the host of Market Scales, The Mecca Minute. Jerry, it's great to have you hey, in the studio hey. for this. Good morning. So how do you first remember using the internet? So it goes back, um, you know, the... Um, my sister started a, a little distribution company called uh, Ingram Micro back in the late 70s, and 
it, it was her. She she was talking to me about something. I swear she called it roulette. Yeah. And it was it was a bunch of hosts at universities that were already tied together, mm-hmm. and you were just surfing. And I think it's really when those terms were really first right. coined, where you would spin the roulette wheel, and wherever it took you might be a place that you'd like to read up on whatever content that was and and often it was searchable right but it really was just a crapshoot yeah it was like wow look at this limitless and at that point the idea of limitless <laughs> you had you had no idea how much more limitless it would get oh, right for sure. but like for sure. yeah let's like look there's a limitless amount of information out there let's just spin the wheel and, and see what we're going to learn today and, and, and it was all plain text for sure, and sure and figuring <laughs> out what you do with it at all at right. that point was it was always about research right so what was the technology that, at least you remember, really enabled those early days of the internet that back then felt like, wow, this is the technology of the future. This is edge technology. Yeah. yeah. So, so all of us that were in technology had a, a a need to use a way to get people drivers for your your car, your inter, your network, your computer, some, and we were all using bulletin boards. Yeah. Which were <laughs> dial up. Heck, 75 baud, 150 baud, Prodigy, uh, uh, CompuServe. And uh, at some point, I think 19.2 probably finally made it possible for your connections to be more multimedia and rich. Mm. And that's what I think really did it for me. And I'm, that's got to be – I'm drawing a blank on the years, but 95? Is yeah. that right? 96? Yeah, I mean, definitely the – That's like 20 you – know, The early commercial years. days right. of the internet – were the yeah. 90s for yeah. sure, uh, but I don't remember the exact date. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, I was I was born in 95. I was so. gonna say I was a little <laughs> older. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I just dated myself hardcore here <laughs> on air. So it's difficult to predict where the internet's going to take us in 50 years because if we look to history, it was impossible to predict where the internet was going to take us 50 years ago. So. Now that we're attempting to look 50 years ahead, people are speaking to edge technologies like 5G, uh, like complete integration of IoT in our day-to-day, in our B2B, in our corporate, and in our personal consumer day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think there's any way to predict what the internet could become for us in 50 years? Like, can, can we really even visualize it? Is there a way to connect the dots? So I'm not a futurist, but I yeah. will... I can play one on TV. No, yes. kidding. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's going to be very difficult. And, and if you just look at things like Moore's Law and how fast computers are and, and all the other things we've talked about you know, on the podcast with you know, the speed of computers, what making things happen so fast. But even in, in Dr. Pepper, we, we had to pull data into a place and then massage it a little bit and then send it to another place and massage it a little bit more. And now all of those things should be done in memory right now. So you don't have to worry about something being compiled or built. It's real time and ready. Similarly, I think we're going to see that happen to the point where maybe we don't. It's not even the internet anymore. In fifty years, it's going to be called life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Just, like we've talked, it's it's electric. It's water. It's 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 a utility. It's just there. We count on it, and it's a a way stuff moves around. Well, I really hope we get to that point. I really hope we see the complete democratization of information technology. Um, Because I think right now, even if we don't really think about it this way, the internet and access to the internet is still, uh, still has a barrier. It still has a cost barrier, price barrier. Um, 
you know, it has a, a social stratosphere barrier. There are whole swaths of people in the United States alone that not only don't have a computer, but don't even have access to internet in their community. There is no high-speed internet at all. Infrastructure is not there. Mm -hmm. So... Hard to imagine. Exactly. It's hard to imagine, but it's it's totally true. And it it definitely encourages me when I speak about the internet and the future of the internet to always loop it back around to, okay, as we talk about the edge technology, the 5Gs and the IoTs, how can we also be talking about the simpler, maybe not as sexy topics of funding infrastructure for the whole United States to have high-speed broadband? Or, uh, you know, expanding how we reach people with information technology and how we talk about the value of information technology in our day-to-day. -day. I mean, I can't consider what my life would be like if I didn't have my phone, if I didn't have access to the Internet and consuming information. I, I would feel lost, which is weird to admit, I guess, but mm. that's just true. It's how I feel, and I think a lot of people feel that way, too. They love and crave the info. But 50 years ago, I didn't feel lost exactly. about any of that. And exactly. So, but to your to your point, um, now that we know what we don't know, and of course, if you're <laughs> someplace where you can't even get what you don't know, right. uh, you, they're feeling that right now. The the uh, it, it's, great, it's a great question, um, and I totally agree with this democratization mm. concept. I, I think Amazon and IBM and Google and Microsoft have built these massive infrastructures out there to deliver us the cloud, all under the pretense that they would sell it back to us at a right. reasonable rate. But I think in that same, those same folks are very philanthropic. They, they, they're, they're givers. I think they're going to see the sense in, in continuing to build out these kind of infrastructures, even if it doesn't have a bank at the end of it. Uh, some someone has to pay for it, no doubt about it. Definitely. Absolutely. I guess one of the things that I am interested about is the amount that we share on the Internet these days and how comfortable we've become with just giving information away. And, yeah. and, and you, you've mentioned that you have kids. Yep. You know, yep. Your kids just have grown up as digital natives and are just totally cool with, oh, I'm just going to plug in information here. And that's just how life is nowadays. <sighs> How concerned does that make you as somebody that, that has worked in IT and knows a lot about what's going on in the internet? Well, we, so there's so much out there, whether it's the Snowden or, or any of the other uh, big breaches. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I mentioned before that you know somehow or another my kid's identity was stolen, and I don't even know how that happens. And <laughs> it certainly wasn't because we published a bunch of information, and I don't even think they know information that they would put out there uh, they don't work so th but they have social security cards because we got them the day they were born sure <laughs> you know right. and yeah. and somehow know that that got out there um i i do think and i mentioned this before i'd i'd love to find a way to have my personal data uh be that thing that pays for anybody to be able to have access to the internet. Some micro percentage of every transaction that's done using my data to advantage some commercial company goes to a bank for the best of, for the rest of us. Or to me personally, what, what, which would be great, but the reality is is we're giving our data away every day and our kids, man, I don't think they ever read what's underneath the or over the accept 
I've never what? read the, the the full iTunes agreement. Or, you Terms know. of conditions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I've done some of them, and you know, <laughs> uh, mostly writing or doing agreements at the corporate level with Microsoft on Office three sixty five. Sure, I, I, sure. I feel I owe that to my business to understand those things. But to your point. I download apps on my phone. I have the State Farm thing that's tracking our vehicles to give me a discount. Right. You know, sorry, giving State Farm a plug here, but you know, <laughs> it 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 is. You just signed up for it, and what are they doing with that data? And now, of course, they're watching me drive, and they're predicting my likelihood of having an accident, which is going to make actuaries happy because they're going to be able to turn around and say your insurance needs to go up, Mecca, because you're driving too darn. Right. 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 I mean, yeah, it's. Uh you know, I, I wish I remember the Ed Snowden quote that he said recently, but it stuck with me. It was like, we live in a society where it's uh, like uh, we have completely given up uh, like our online freedom for the sake of convenience or something, mm-hmm. something to that right. extent. And it's true. I mean, no matter what you're logging into, there is a terms of conditions that you are not reading that allows for your data to be sold or allows for your information to be put in a database and used for targeted advertising or whatever it might be. And for good. And and for good, right. It's not all scary dystopian 1984, George Orwell. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it does, I, I think it's out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people until it's Cambridge Analytica, That's basically. Right. That's exactly and, right. And so I... I think that as we talk about the democratization of the internet, I think it's also important to keep the conversation focused on, we need to make sure the, these companies um, use our data wisely and uh, in a moral way, because I honestly, maybe this is just cynical, but I do not think we're gonna be able to get everyone to think about their time on the internet in a totally like, focused manner where no. they understand, okay, I'm on this site, so they are going to be able to use my data for this information. And here, like, people just don't want to think about the internet that way. It's too much effort, too much time. I mean, I don't think about the internet that way. And I'm I, this is what I'm talking about right now. So I, I used to think, oh, it's going to be really interesting to see what it's like when our generation is older or my generation is older, whatever. And we get to the point where, you know, I'm my grandparents age and I look and I look at my grandparents. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you guys didn't grow up with this stuff that I've grown up with. But then I realize that things have moved so fast that there are already things that I don't understand. Like I don't understand Snapchat. I'm not going to get it. <laughs> but like there, there are a number of other things like internet computer. When we're done, I'll help you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I've always thought, oh, I'll just always stay up with things. But things move so fast nowadays that 50 years from now, it's just hard to fathom where we're going to be. It is. I can remember as a kid going door to door for Boy Scouts trying to sell stuff. Mm-hmm. And they still had on the button you'd push, this is a totally electrified home. <laughs> like, that was novel. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. And that was 50 years ago. <laughs> and now we're talking about smart homes yes, and you know exactly everything being connected so it, it's a wild wild time well jerry thank you so much no for problem. coming into the studio today it's been a blast getting a chance to chat with you and, always uh, enjoy it talk internet talk a little sports as well oh, happen yeah. to be in the area <laughs> oh hey we yeah. uh on one of your mecca minutes we mentioned a peanut butter drive give us yes. an update on what what happened there so uh the number i don't have exactly but somewhere north of 175,000 pounds and not wow. quite 200,000 i know the target was 100,000 so dallas or should I say Collin County, stepped up boom, and uh, really did a great job. And uh, I'm sure now that we blew out the 100,000, they're probably going to ask for a quarter million pounds next <laughs> year or a, a billion pounds. But um, kidding with that. Let's hope not. Uh, but it does help. And, and, and all of the food pantries 
need peanut butter. It just right. ha- it's an odd staple, but it's rich in protein, has what kids need, mm-hmm. and in some cases, in a pinch, if that's all they got, they got something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if we know Jerry, he's always uh, doing something good for the community, doing something good for others, so we'll stay up to date with that. Daniel, we got a piece out for today. We do. Uh, what's up next? We have an episode of Diving Into Data with T.C. Riley coming up next. It's a really, really good show with uh, T.C., our Director of Data and Analytics here, mm. so stick around for that. That's coming up, but that's all for us today. Adios, folks. See you.